0: Finding good childcare is hard, it's expensive, there aren't always spaces and it's even more difficult when your child has additional needs and requires specialist care. One in 10 children around the world are classed as disabled. Most live at home and are cared for by their parents, but that's not always possible due to work commitments and the needs of their other children.
2: I had a three-year-old little girl requiring 24-7 care around the clock.
0: These are the words of Lynn, who shared her story last year. In this episode, all of her comments will be read by an actress. As a single parent with two young daughters, Lynn stayed at home to look after her youngest child, at that stage was having multiple seizures on a daily basis. Her medical needs required extra attention, and Lynn wasn't sure about getting extra help yet. I was the type of parent
2: who was still terrified every day of losing her unless it was a palliative
0: or paediatric nurse. No go. Because there's something uniquely stressful about putting the well-being of your child into the hands of, well, a stranger. Finding the right carer for your child can be nerve-wracking and, when getting it wrong, can be the difference between life and death. The whole process can feel like a minefield. So when a good carer comes along, it can feel like a little ray of hope a family has been waiting for. The relief of knowing you don't have to do it on your own anymore.
2: This person came in and claimed to be extremely experienced. Miraculously, this wonderful Lucy had much experience in caring for
0: kids. But some miracles are just too good to be true. And so was the woman who had just stepped into Lynn's life. This
2: person tried to convince me that she would be perfectly safe in her care. If I, if I had have done what she was wanting me to do, as in taking the professional help that was being offered, I could have risked losing my child there and then.
0: I'm Sue Perkins. And I'm Kat Denkinson. And you're listening to Carrie Jade Does Not Exist, a podcast about how one woman who took on over six different identities infiltrated the lives of vulnerable people, lied her way into gaining their trust and built up a picture-perfect persona until she got tangled up in her own web of lies.
3: If you are receiving this, you must be coming to Lapland this Christmas. She was running some kids' things in the community centre. She
2: really zoned in on how vulnerable we were at that stage.
3: I cannot, and as a Christian will not, take monetary funding. She did this to Lorraine as well. She did
2: it to Hillary. She did it to loads of people.
1: The folder that they had on her was thick. This
4: is episode two. The
0: therapist. So, Kat, set the scene for us. Uh, Where does this story begin?
4: So, in 2016, a 28-year-old called Lucy Fitzwilliam moved to Glenard which is a village in County Dublin, Ireland. With a population of less than 2,000, it's the sort of place where everyone knows everyone and news travels fast. After getting settled into a new home, Lucy introduced herself around town as a speech and language therapist who also ran a domestic violence
0: refuge. Well, this person seems like an excellent addition to any community, like a, like, a, like a godsend. She really was. And her wholesome image ensured
4: that Lucy became a beloved member of the community and she was quickly embraced by local families. It was
2: here in Glenigiri that she met Lynn, a single parent and domestic abuse survivor. We had gotten out of a domestic abuse situation with her dad. We fled that scene. We had just come out of a women's refuge ourselves. Lucy seemed like she had a good
4: heart and she claimed to run a refuge like the one that Lynn had just left, so Lynn instantly took to Lucy.
2: She trusted her. She really zoned in on how vulnerable we were at that stage.
0: What happened when Lucy, who's obviously new to town, gets to know Lynn's family better?
4: Well, she discovered that Lynn's youngest daughter has a condition called Rett's Syndrome. It's a rare genetic, neurological and developmental disorder that affects the way the brain develops. The disorder causes a progressive loss of motor skills and language, as well
2: as a number of other life-limiting health issues. Very medically complex, requiring 24-7 care around the clock. To Lynn's surprise, Lucy offered her services as a carer. Miraculously, this wonderful Lucy had much experience in caring for kids.
0: That seems slightly out of the blue. Does she take her up on her offer? So Lynn was nervous about
4: leaving her with strangers who weren't doctors or nurses. She didn't really trust anyone else and declined Lucy's offer. But Lucy was still determined to help. So she offered her services as an art therapist for Lynn's older daughter, who we're calling Sophia.
2: And she offered her services to my eight-year-old free of charge, which I availed on numerous occasions.
4: Sophia had just come out of living at the women's refuge and had experienced a really difficult childhood as a witness to her father's abuse. So Lynn gratefully accepted the art therapy to support
2: her daughter,
0: but it didn't go well.
2: My child is now under mental health services.
0: This is already making me very, very stressed. You've got a very, very vulnerable child who's seen things that a child shouldn't see, who's displaced from the home and has been, as you say, being raised temporarily in a refuge situation. So what's happening in those therapy sessions?
4: Well, the therapy sessions took place in private and everything was confidential. So Lynn had no idea what Lucy was telling her daughter.
0: Right. Okay. Uh, at this point, though, Lynn's invited Lucy in. She doesn't have any real reason not to trust Lucy, does she?
4: No, not at all. I mean, everything seemed completely innocent. And Lucy at this point was coming across as the perfect friend, perfect therapist, everything really. I mean, a few months into their friendship, Lucy actually offered Lynn, her friend and the children this once in a lifetime trip to
0: Lapland. It's really interesting because there's a pattern emerging here. You know, what starts as something credible increases to the point where it becomes utterly unbelievable. So, That's great. You're a therapist, you're a support, and now suddenly the family's going to Lapland. It is very much a theme. How's this woman paying for all this, and why? Well, luckily, the
4: whole trip was being organised by Lucy's church, and they were, according to Lucy, covering half the cost. Lucy sent out loads of emails with beautiful pictures of where they were going to stay and all the activities they'd be doing. All she needed was a €500 deposit, so Lynn and her neighbours scrimped and saved to
0: get the money together. I'm starting to feel anxious and, I have to say, increasingly
3: angry. It's, yeah, it's an emotion you'll get used to with
0: this. Right, Okay, (laughs) that's good to be forewarned.
3: Hello, everyone, or should I say Merry Christmas? If you are receiving this, you must be coming to Lapland this Christmas. At the time of writing, I have 12 places left to come on the trip to Lapland. So, if you have any friends or family interested, then please do let me know. We do not have charity status yet, so I cannot, and as a Christian will not, take monetary funding. The prices we are asking for the trips are the price we are paying. However, if you wish to donate non-perishable food, clothes or toiletries, we are especially low on these at present. We will never say no. Thank you. So
4: on top of her Lapland trip, Lucy had also told them they'd be raising money for her women's refuge.
0: And did anyone do due diligence on the refuge? Where, Where was it?
4: They didn't, because one of the things with refugees is that they don't advertise their location. Yeah. You know, it's basically a safety thing um, for the women and children who are fleeing homes to live there. But I mean, at this point, none of the women in Glenigiri had any reason to doubt her. She came across perfectly. She was lovely, personable, chatty, friendly. And as far as they knew, she was a good person. I mean, at this point, Lynn's mother even put together some food parcels so the people in the refuge wouldn't have to go without.
2: My mum, who'd done up maybe four or €500 Euros worth of food packages... Lynn's older daughter donated her Christmas toys to the effort. Instead of um, presents for family that year, we had gathered all of our gifts.
0: Well, I mean, it goes without saying Christmas is an extremely tough time for families when they're, they're fleeing domestic violence. You know, they're displaced from their home and everything they know. So I guess Lynn's family were even happier to help because, of course, they themselves knew how tough that festive period could be. But no, they did absolutely
4: had. They'd been there themselves and they put their heart and soul into helping Lucy's refuge. The only problem at that point was that Lynn was having difficulty organising care because of all her extra needs. And so Lynn tried to find a specialist nurse to cover for her while she took the older daughter, Sophia. Unfortunately, as it got closer to the trip, Lynn still hadn't managed to secure this carer. And then Lucy came up with a really odd suggestion. Right, and what was that? Well, Lucy told Lynn that she would take Sophia to Lapland and that once Lynn had found care, she could just hop on and join them. All
2: she needed was Sophia's passport and written permission from Lynn. She was trying to say, Lynn, I'll do it for you, but I'll need you to sign documents. She had zoned in on my Sophia, and I still to this day believe that she looked for a signature for me so she could bring Sophia herself to Lapland.
0: Nothing about what you're telling me now sits right, okay? Taking a child who's already been displaced multiple times through no fault of their own due to violent home life, and taking them on a trip away from their mum. How, I mean, I suppose the question, it's, it's not going to make me feel any calmer, but how long has Lucy been in the village at this point? How long has it taken for her to inveigle herself into the community?
4: A matter of months. I don't know specifically, oh, wow. but less than a year
0: right okay i mean that is fast tracking it's almost community grooming isn't it i mean you associate it with one, a one-on-one thing and in, and in many ways she's done that to lynn but but it's the whole community have been taken in by this person
4: no they totally were grooming is probably the right word for it to be honest i mean the whole idea of passports and written permission didn't sit well with lynn either at this point and she thought you know sophia's too young to be traveling alone and then she started having doubts about lucy because one of her friends, Pauline, has an adopted son with autism, and Lucy had become very close with their family as well. And preparing for the Lapland trip, Lucy had tried to convince Pauline to hand over her son's passports as well.
0: So she she's going round to families whose children have care needs and trying to take the children away from their parents and on a jolly, a half church-funded jolly to Lapland. This is. All the alarm bells and all the red flags at this point.
4: Yeah, this is what happened in the village. When Pauline and Lynn sort of spoke to each other and then the rest of the parents they knew, it basically started the chain reaction. And they all realised, you know, as you said, she's gathering a bunch of money and all their
0: kids' passports. And passports are cash. I mean, as soon as she's got those, they can be sold on. Very much so. So the parents actually
4: reported her to the Gardaí, the Irish police, and the guardie actually took Lucy to the local police station and questioned her about this.
0: I mean, I feel relief about this. Presumably she's now in trouble because she has overstepped a line, yeah?
4: She has, but unfortunately a lot of her business at that point was done by word of mouth and she'd not actually taken any of the kids or passports. Yeah, I mean, there's fairly clear intent there. Come on. There absolutely was. Unfortunately, the guardie decided that there was nothing they could do and she was released from custody and allowed to simply walk away.
0: I mean, they're not here to answer to this specific inquiry, to this specific situation. So I guess my attention really has to go back to the community and think if the Garde fail, then at least they can safeguard themselves with their, you know, they're a tight, tight-knit group of people. They can watch out for each other.
4: You'd think so. I mean, at this point, Lucy obviously realised that she'd messed up completely in town, but had luckily been released by the police, so she packed up and left. So she's gone? Yeah, she completely just went overnight, essentially. Lynn's actually said that in the days after she fled Glenagiri, the guardie were patrolling their
0: street in case she came back for the kids. This is awful. So there's obviously... She's created fear and panic in a community that she's she's child snatcher. She has. They were absolutely
4: terrified of her. Weirdly enough, though, the guardie actually let Lynn's friend go into the accommodation where Lucy had been staying. Okay,
0: I really don't... Trust or like Lucy, and, uh, but, but really, can the, can the police just let people go into the house?
4: Apparently, in this case, they could. They let her walk in, she had a look around, and she actually found an envelope that Lynn had given Lucy with some cash in it. So, yeah, Lynn got some of her lapped money back, but obviously, compared to the trust and everything else that had been taken, it was a drop in the ocean. We contacted the court service, who told us that in May 2019, she was charged with five counts of theft across Ireland during the summer of 2016 that amounted to €1,400. She was given a suspended sentence for this, which we'll talk more about later. You know, the financial betrayal was a thing, but the emotional betrayal was huge for them all to deal with.
0: It's the vulnerability. It's somebody predating on those who have already suffered in life and milking them for money. But as you say, raising a child's hope that just for a week, they're going to get out of a situation that's painful or difficult and experience joy and relief and freedom. And it's unforgivable. It's it unforgivable.
4: It's horrendous. I mean, the child, Sophia, at this point was about eight years old. So oh. that plan would have been an immense thing. You know, this is like literally yeah. living a dream.
0: Yeah, and kids like her who've witnessed you know, violence and, you know, seeing a parent come to harm. They don't get fairy tale endings. And this must have felt like an absolute gift from the heavens. It makes my blood boil, Kat, to be honest. It makes my blood boil.
4: I'm not surprised. I mean, this is the emotion I was getting from Lynn, along with there was fear, there were tears, and there's so much anger towards this woman that she'd
2: even try to do this, you know? And I just couldn't trust anybody. Nobody.
0: Of course not. She did this to load of people. That's such a shame, isn't it? That that's you know because one would hope in in the aftermath of this terrible invasion on their community that they would at least find support from one another. But I, I guess when money's con- you know when money's involved and one family makes a recommendation to another and another and they're all investing in a pot that yeah I, I can see. I can see how it becomes acrimonious. It's such a shame.
4: It was. And I don't think it was anybody's fault, particularly either. It was just the impact on their friendships from people feeling, as you say, betrayed by her, people feeling guilty that they'd introduced her to the community. You know, they brought this person in,
2: as it were. Mm. It's hard. It's so much to take in. The one who introduced this scumbag to all of us still to this day, six years on, feels
0: responsible.
4: I did actually reach out to some of Lynn's friends when I was investigating, but so few of them were in a position where they could talk about it. So
0: it was still too raw for them?
4: It really was. I mean, they all felt duped, they felt stupid. You know, how could I have been taken in by this person? I mean, one of the best things about this whole investigation was being able to reassure them that they weren't stupid. You know, this wasn't your fault, it wasn't something you did. She just basically made a career of duping people.
2: Oh, when I think about it now like I'm not a stupid person and I don't always take people at face value Lynn there are
4: 14 of you you are not stupid none of you are stupid believe me she's insanely scarily good at this so from her career to her name everything about Lucy was fake because like Carrie Jade Williams Lucy Fitzgerald didn't exist
0: well after the break we're back with the story of the next persona the woman who pretended to be Carrie and Lucy took on and how she got caught
3: to get started visit plushcare.com weight loss that's plushcare.com weight loss in
4: 2017 a year after lucy had arrived in Glenageary, a 29 year old au pair called rebecca fitzgerald moved to Fermoy, a town just under 40 kilometers away from the irish city of cork it's a quiet town built around the blackwater river a destination for hikers and fishers that hosts a biannual regatta, and in the year that Rebecca arrived, the Fermoy Festival. An 11-day family extravaganza, including water sports, live music and a teddy bears picnic. Rebecca lived and worked with a local family, and she soon advertised her services as an autism therapist all over town, quickly forming relationships with local parents. She was open and friendly, with an easy smile, so the parents in Fimoy immediately took to her. They invited her into their homes to provide therapy for their young children.
0: Well, Rebecca sounds lovely if I hadn't heard this exact story. Before. Lovely, too good to be true girl, moves to a small town. Everybody loves her. She just wants to do good in the world. Why do I have such a bad feeling? Oddly enough, you might just be psychic. (laughs) Yeah.
4: (laughs) What we need to know, though, is that in person, Rebecca was everything a parent could want from a child therapist. She was kind, empathetic, gentle, patient. You know, she's this really lovely woman and the absolute perfect person to work with their children. Unfortunately, the exact kind of therapy she provided to those kids is unknown but a taxi driver who knew her at the time said she'd local parents she could teach non-speaking autistic kids to talk in just two months. Uh forgive my ignorance, is, is that something that's, that's actually possible? Short answer, no. Non-speaking autism is not something that can be reversed. There are techniques that can improve communication skills in non-speaking children, but there's no guaranteed way to give them the same verbal abilities as other children their age, and certainly not within two months.
0: But obviously I can see, you know, parents, they love their kids, they are desperate to do everything they can to give their child the best chance in life, the best start possible.
4: Absolutely. And even if they thought, you know, there was little chance of this therapy working, they were still jumping at the offer. They had to take that chance. Now, Rebecca didn't have a driver's licence or a car, so she took taxis everywhere. One of the drivers who ferried her around for more, was a woman called Julie Lee. She's a mother in her 50s who had emigrated to Ireland from Johannesburg a few years before. I spoke to her as part of my initial investigation. In this episode, all her words are going to be read by an actress.
1: I was only the taxi driver taking her to these houses. And um, that's how I knew what she was doing.
4: Now, Julie liked getting to know her taxi passengers and she'd chat to them about their days and their lives. She remembered Rebecca well because Rebecca would regularly take taxi rides that cost 60 or 70 euros. On her way to these children's homes, Rebecca would get into the taxi with no money. But when Julie collected her at the end of the day, she'd have hundreds of euros in cash. Yep, there's that uneasy feeling again. So Julie didn't know exactly what kind of therapy Rebecca was doing, but the conversations they had in the taxi made it clear that, like Lucy, she was an autism therapist. One thing Julie did get a lot of was Rebecca's stories. So during these taxi rides, Julie said that Rebecca would come out with the most bizarre stories, and it quickly became clear to her that something wasn't right with this woman. But at that point, she couldn't quite put her finger on it. So, as time went on, Rebecca also started to work at the community centre and in the local school. National School in Rathcormick. She was running some kids' things in the community
1: centre, Upper Glanmire. It was on Google, but I can't find it anymore.
0: OK, so she was, on some level, she's legitimate because you have to be to work at a school, right?
4: Well, that's what the parents believed. They had no reason not to trust her again. You know, she worked in the community centre, the school, she's a therapist and she'd embedded herself in the heart of the community and as such became the go-to person for all things child therapy except she wasn't a child therapist
0: but how can you work in a school and how can you say you're a child therapist with with, with no qualifications um, you're working in the most specific area of child assistance and yet no one's checking, no one's safeguarding everyone's just taking her at face value
4: this is a recurring theme been a thing for a while because Rebecca Fitzgerald wasn't any sort of therapist. In fact, if you tried to look up Rebecca Fitzgerald's professional qualifications, you'd have found... nothing. Nothing. Rebecca wasn't a real person. She didn't exist. Rebecca Fitzgerald was yet another fake identity dreamed up by the same woman who'd introduced herself to the world as Lucy Fitzwilliam and then there's Carrie Jade Williams.
0: And it's so callous because she knows that the people who she's preying upon are so desperate, they don't check. They're so overwhelmed that help has come, that someone's offering a cure-all, a fix. That they're prepared to waive their suspicions, their need for checks and balances. It's... This woman has been doing this for a long time. She knows exactly. Her MO is so baked in, isn't it?
4: It really is. It's almost, it's taken on a life of its own. It's almost real to her, I think, at this point
0: which I'm sure we'll come on to, exactly, is how much she believes of it herself. Uh, when, did, when did people of this community uh, for Fermoy work it out? How did she get caught?
4: She basically made the mistake, she told too big a lie. This is
0: always the thing, this is her downfall every time, isn't it? She just pushes and pushes and pushes it. It
4: absolutely is. I mean, along with all her other work, this lie, she told Julie that she was opening some kind of clinic for children and families, and she actually tried to recruit Julie to the clinic.
0: Right, hang on. Julie's a taxi driver.
4: She is, and Rebecca tried to recruit her and a number of other random women to work in this clinic and sent out emails for a
3: recruitment day, regardless of their current job or qualifications. This is the provisional list that is being offered to you to pick from so you can start to see how your working day would run. Thursday is the option for those few specialising in domestic violence support, and then the other option for those who aren't. If there is anyone who is interested in doing baby massage, we have two more spots on that course starting in September. So please let me know and we can see if we can make that work. Kind regards, Rebecca. I suppose people who aren't
0: specialised in this most specialist of works won't be able to draw attention to your inadequacies. You know, they won't have the skills to notice that... You're not who you claim to be.
4: Pretty much. And, I mean, it seemed like a really promising opportunity. You know, one woman actually quit her current job, I think she was no pair, to go and work for Rebecca. But at this point, Julie actually was starting to get suspicious.
1: That's when I realised it was a scam. So what was the thing that tipped her off? Unqualified person doing that, then looking for copy of
4: passport, then money. It was passports and money. That's what Rebecca was asking for, to register
0: them for her business. So this, as you do your investigations... Is the thing that helps you connect all these identities. Is that the, the modus operandi of get money, you know, get, embed yourself in a community, attach yourself to vulnerable families with childrens with needs, and passport money.
4: So yeah, this woman has a pattern across all of these stories. She would move to a new town, take on the persona of a kind, warm, and helpful woman, so would find parents, usually mothers, in vulnerable situations that needed help with childcare. And then she'd work with young children under the pretense of being qualified. But like the women in Glenagiri, people in Cork were starting to get suspicious of Rebecca's motivations. The principal of the local school also had questions about
0: their town's amazing new therapist. I mean, finally. So, to recap, by late 2017, the parents of the local school, they're starting to talk to each other about Rebecca, aren't they? They're at the school gates, playground gossip being what it is. The word is spreading.
4: It absolutely is. After enough time, these rumours started ringing alarm bells for the school principal, Margaret Howard. When I spoke to her last year, she told me people were beginning to raise concerns about Rebecca's identity and her qualifications. So her being the education leader she was, put safeguarding first and contacted the guardie to report those concerns. And what did the guardie do? They never followed up. and Margaret has no idea what became of the report she put in. At the same time, however, Julie had also reported Rebecca to the guardie. OK, and, and what was the upshot of that report? Well, interestingly, they told her Rebecca was someone they'd been searching for for a long, long time. The folder that they had on her was
1: thick, thick, thick with whatever they were accusing her of. It's more than likely will be fraud. A friend of mine was running the Upper Glanmire Community Centre at the time, and she was running classes there, which I told you before. And he told me that two detectors from Fermoy called out to
0: him. OK, there's suddenly a line of inquiry opening up here. There absolutely is.
4: We contacted the court service, who told us that in May 2019, she was charged with making gain for herself and causing loss to another. This involved accepting €840 on the false pretense that she was a qualified child psychologist. Alongside a series of other charges that we'll talk about later, this led to her receiving a suspended prison sentence.
0: What about Rebecca? Does she stick around or is she already gone?
4: Oddly enough, nope. Rebecca ups and ran off after a couple of days. She literally disappeared overnight. Before, before consequence comes for her. Of course. I mean, interestingly, Julie was determined to find her, though. She actually set up a Facebook page listing Rebecca as a missing person. And this whole page, this very small page, but it has a picture of Rebecca in a local cafe, smiling, like she's laughing at something the phototaker had said. Unfortunately, though,
0: the page didn't get much traction and nothing came of that either. Although, interestingly, there's a picture, which is always helpful. Uh, once again, of course, Rebecca just dodges both the consequences of her lies, the understandable wrath of, and sadness of the family, and the law.
4: As with Lucy, I tried reaching out to some of the families who'd known Rebecca to hear their stories, but nobody was willing to talk. Julie told me that this was because they were all still afraid of Rebecca.
0: They've obviously seen another side to her, you know? It's not just the the smiling, biddable, caring woman. For them to feel frightened, something... Something's chiming within them, a deep, deep worry, a deep concern.
4: It absolutely is. Whatever these people experienced, it sat long enough that they were afraid. Even five years later, when I tried to contact them, they still wouldn't talk.
0: And that's been your experience with all the people, really, that you've spoken to regarding all of these multiple identities. That's the through thread, isn't it?
4: It absolutely is. It was so difficult initially getting people to talk because they were worried about being duped, but then also because they were just so afraid of this woman. All they knew is that they didn't know much, I think, and that was scarier than anything. The who is she of it?
0: I guess first of all comes, as you say, the shame. It's like, I can't believe I fell for it. But once somebody like you is reassuring them that there are multiple people, that's presumably when the fear kicks in because they realise this is a very determined woman with a structured play that is attacking multiple people and multiple communities absolutely I mean
4: I think yeah for some of them it was closure to find there were other people but there was also as you say the oh my god how big is this how far does this go how many women are we here
0: yeah I, I guess I'm thinking of the kids now and and all those therapy sessions which happen with um an unqualified person and the contents of which is it is kept secret It almost seems like she's gathering compromat. She's gathering material on the family in order to extort. Does anybody know what happened in those therapy sessions?
4: Nobody knows. Again, all private. And the kids, being who they were, were either non-speaking or sufficiently disabled that they weren't in a position, or young, that they weren't in a position to sort of say, this is what we did, this is what was said. So nobody's going to know. All they can see is the aftermath.
0: Which is... Children left traumatized. For those that might have had a bond with her, that bond suddenly broken without explanation. Uh, or equally, they might have been traumatized in those sessions with somebody who was uncaring, unresponsive, and just there for the money.
4: Absolutely, we've never. We're not going to know. I mean, no,
0: I mean we can we can we can hypothesise, but you're you're right. It's, it's it's an unknowable thing. It's just terrifying to me that there are vulnerable children left with this human being.
4: No, it is really concerning. It was it's a major concern throughout this whole part of the investigation of what is going on with these poor kids. It's what prompted me to speak to the guardie as well last year. But unfortunately, I got about as far as everybody else had and they seemed completely am- be amused by the questions I was asking them. We put questions about this case and others to the guardie, and they replied to some of our concerns, which we'll get to in future episodes. Unfortunately, it wasn't the first time the guardie had failed to follow up on leads to do with her. And it wasn't the first time she tried to work with kids, either.
0: Next time on Carrie J Does Not Exist. She was so convincing and really lovely in the interview we had. You have pleaded
2: guilty to a very cruel and hateful fraud.
1: I never asked her for references or passport. She was so convincing.
3: It doesn't really adequately protect intended parents and surrogate-born children. She's put us through hell. We cannot believe that anyone can be so callous. When I read the cards
2: after she left, my blood ran cold.
3: I stand shoulder to shoulder with the coroner, and I did not murder my daughter. I pray she is at peace. If you knew
0: Carrie or indeed any of the other aliases she went by and have a story to share, then email us at Carrie Jade Does Not exist at gmail.com. That's Carrie Jade Does Not Exist, all lowercase or one word at gmail.com. Carrie Jade Does Not Exist is an Audio Always original production hosted by me, Sue Perkins. Catherine Denkinson reported the original story and wrote the series. It was produced by Rufaro Faith Mazarura and executive produced by Elsa Rochester. Craig Edmondson is the sound designer and Joe Meek, the editor.